You're listening to the Northside Christian Church Podcast. Find out more about Northside by visiting us online at northsideweb.org. Good morning, Northside. Well, even as we speak, our long-awaited dream is coming to reality. Medina, our second campus, has a soft launch today and next Sunday. We are one church in two locations. It has been a tremendous journey along the way. Uh, it was, I was there yesterday. It took six hours to unload the trailers, find out where everything goes. And it was amazing to see Medina High School turn into uh, a church, Northside Christian Church, with our DNA all over it, with all the signs and the signage and all the departments. And to see, like, the cafeteria turn into a, our mids department and our children's preschool. And it, it absolutely was amazing. But what took them six hours, they're supposed to do that in 30 minutes today. So they're, they're practicing. It was amazing to see about 100 people show up and and take on leadership and service roles that that maybe they had never done ever before and it just it just was absolutely mind-boggling and so two weeks from today will be our official grand opening of our Medina campus uh, we are one church in two locations it just it, it just absolutely was amazing yesterday for uh, me to witness that um, we have been doing a sermon series for the last couple of weeks getting ready for this called co-mission you've been a Christian very long, you've heard of the Great Commission where Jesus gives the marching orders of the church to go out into all the world and preach the gospel. He that believes and is baptized will be saved. He that doesn't believe will be condemned. That's found in Mark chapter 16. And, and so, but, but we divided that word co-mission because it is a partnership that we have with God. God working with us and through us in in what he wants to accomplish in, in life. And, and that has been an amazing thing for me to watch over the years, how I really feel like God has partnered with Northside to accomplish some incredible, amazing, even miraculous things. Um, so commission that we started with, what God is doing in us, and it has to be in us before it can be through us. So as God works in us as a disciple, he then will send us out to work through us that people will become uh, uh, come to the knowledge of Jesus Christ. We talked last week about how we should we should pray that we seize the harvest field that is right before us. I mean, it's there and everywhere, and that we would start to see people as Jesus saw people and through his eyes and be concerned about those people and want to try to help those people. And so today, today I'm going to do the third message. We're going to talk about that a little bit today, um, but uh, we finished last week with this quote. A church should be known more for its seating, uh, shouldn't be known for its seating capacity, but it should be known for its sending capacity. So as we send people out in the gospel. Now we have one more sermon in this. Eric's going to preach next week because I'm going to fly out at 3.30 in the morning to go on vacation. Because of our Africa mission trip, I didn't have a chance to take vacation. So my wife and I, you might want to pray for us, uh, we're joining a friend of ours and his wife and we're going to sail a boat through the Gulf of Mexico. And so um, we've heard there's like six tropical storms. Just pray that everything's okay. We go by faith. Uh, um, but it, so, so Eric will finish the series next week. Um, but uh, today I want to talk about, it's not just, 
in us and through us, it's for other people too. And sometimes I think we kind of forget that. We, we get comfortable in church, we get comfortable in our pews, we get comfortable where we're at, and we forget about it's not just about us, but it's about others as well. So today I want to go to the parable of the great banquet. Jesus told a lot of stories. It's stories because it's easy for us to grasp and understand. So today I want to talk about the parable of the great banquet. It is found in the Gospel of Luke. Listen to these words as Jesus tells this story, starting in verse 15. When one of those at the table heard him this, he said to Jesus, Blessed is the one who will eat at the feast in the kingdom of God. And Jesus replied, and he tells this story, A certain man was preparing a great banquet and invited many guests. I want to stop there for just a second. Almost all the parables, the stories that Jesus tells, you have to identify the God figure in the parable. And so here, the God figure is this certain man. So this certain man is going to throw this great banquet, this big party. And of course, the, the book of Revelation talks about heaven and what a great banquet and wonderful place and party that it's going to be uh, for heaven. So this represents God, and he's talking to his servants in this passage. Now, if we belong to God, then we are like the servants. So I want to try to make that application today. So verse 17, at, uh, a certain man was preparing a great banquet, and he invited many guests. At that time, the banquet, he sent his servant to tell those who had been invited, come, for everything is now ready. But they all alike began to make excuses. The first said, I've just bought a field, and I must go and see it. Please excuse me. Another said, I've just bought five yoke of oxen, and I'm on my way to try them out. Please excuse me. Still another said, I just got married, so I can't come. The servant came back and reported this to his master. Then the owner of the house became angry and ordered his servant go out quickly into the streets and alleys of the town and bring in the poor, the crippled, the blind, and the lame. Sir, the servant said, what you ordered has been done, but there's still room. Then the master told his servants, go out to the roads and the country lanes and compel them to come in so that my house will be full. I tell you, not one of those who were invited will get a taste of my banquet. So I want to break this down just a little bit. First of all, there is a, an invitation that has been received, but it has been rejected. So he sends out this invitation to a lot of people, and they get it, and they reject it because they all start making excuses. Um, look at verse 18. They, they all alike began to make excuses. One said, well, I just bought a field. One said, I just bought five yoke of oxen. I just got married. Um, now, those are good and legitimate things, okay? So it's not like they're going out and doing evil things. And I wonder, for, for them, it's kind of like an either or. Well, no, I just did this. And I'm thinking, don't you look at land before you buy it? And don't, shouldn't you already have that and kind of understood that? But bottom line, bottom line, there's no excuse that's really good enough to miss out on this banquet. And it must have been that somehow they didn't really value the, uh, or appreciate the value of this invitation that they were receiving. Maybe they really didn't quite understand, and, and they could have done some of this later. So it wouldn't even necessarily be a question of, of well, i got to do this or that. It might be a choice between better and best, or right and wrong. And uh, so I want to talk about that a little bit because I think we're in that kind of an age right now. And let me explain it this way. I did a funeral probably, I don't know, four or six weeks ago or so. I didn't look up the date. Uh, for many of you know him, Dan Vidikin. He was 48 years old and he passed away with uh, a brain tumor. But about that funeral, uh, Dan is from Romania and, and has a lot of connections still with Romania. 
And so we had the Romanian pastor from over in Akron come and shared part of the, uh, of the message. And, and afterwards in our uh, banquet room, our, f- our funeral dinner, uh, I got the chance to talk to some of the people from Romania. And one man uh, particularly that I was talking to, he said, all the churches, it's like these guys are right, like from Romania. And he said, all the churches in Romania are dead. They're, they're just empty. There's these massive, massive cathedrals but you go into them and they're dead. There, there's just nobody there. Because what has happened is, as the older people have gotten older, they haven't, they haven't made the shift to be able to witness and win the younger generation. So as the younger generation is coming up, it's like they have no use for God. They have no use for the churches, so they don't go to church anymore. And, and the churches are absolutely empty. And that is a testimony of Christianity uh, kind of going away in, in Europe. Uh, in fact, I read just in Germany alone, in the last 10 years, 500 Catholic churches have closed and 400, 343 Protestant churches have closed. They've, uh, they've demolished some, they've sold some for progress and, and uh, remodeling and things, but, but it, it, it's a dead and dying religion there. Now, we think, well, that's over there, but it's coming here, and we have to be aware of that. Let me share some statistics. I think part of the reason that they don't understand that we've got to win this younger generation, because as they get older, sooner or later, the older people are going to die. I think you all know that, even if you're older, right? I know that. It's like, we're, we're going to die. So if we don't win the younger generation, sooner or later, the church is going to die as well. But what happens is we hold on to the things we have grown up with because they're so, they're so set in our life with traditions. But I, I remember the, the little quote that says, methods are many, principles are few. Methods always change, but principles never do. So somewhere along the line, they hadn't changed some of the methods to be able to reach some of these people. Now let's bring it to the United States of America because that's where we live, right? Did you know that right now, United States of America is the largest mission field in the world? That's like unreal. How could that happen? Do you realize now we are living in a post-modern, uh, Christi- a post-Christian era? That it's no longer a Christian nation. Now, if you've ever watched any of the news in the last year and the political debates and things, I think you can probably see that uh, very, very well. Let me share some things about the millennials. Um, millennials was the largest generation up until just recently, and the gen- uh, Generation Z has come up, and now they are the largest generation. Let me talk about the millennials for just a second. Um, they, uh, only 28% of millennials attend church weekly, okay? So most of them, they don't go to church at all. Um, God has been reprioritized in their life, and now it's a matter of convenience, not necessary. So you've got something else to do, then, then that's, that's okay, that's fine. Because of that, across America, Sunday school classes have been phased out because they don't have uh, a regular systematic teaching, so they're not grown up learning the Word of God at all. Both parents worked uh, to make ends meet, and so because we live in a digital age, uh, the media has been raising our children in this country. The dollar became more important than their children's upbringing, and now that they've raised the greatest generation who suffered through poverty and work, the, the older generation, they don't want their kids to have to suffer, and so they double income, and then they leave the kids to be raised by social media or YouTubes or whatever. Now let's move into Generation Z. That is people born from basically 95 to 2010. So you're looking at somebody that's 22 years old and, and kind of younger, maybe 24 and, and younger. Uh, 25.9% of the U.S. population is now Generation Z. They've overtaken millennials. They're 24 point something. Um, but by 2020, Generation Z 
the younger people, they will account for 40% of all consumers. Um, they are experiencing radical changes in technology and understanding. Now get this, their understanding is thinking different than what we thought. Um, their understanding of family, sexuality, and gender. They have grown up with 2015 Supreme Court legalizing gay marriages. Um, the former Olympian uh, turned reality TV star Bruce Jenner who publicly transformed to Caitlyn Jenner. Um, marriage has been redefined by decades of social practices. And so because of that, there has been a shift in their thinking. The shift has been in their attitudes, their behavior, their laws on divorce, abortion, cohabitation, out of wedlock births, gender roles, and now decisively same-sex marriages. Generation Z lives in multiracial households more than any other generation. They are multiracial. Um, uh, they are the most racially diverse of any generation that has been on this planet. Generation Z is in internet in the pocket. Uh, they are online daily, up to nine hours every day absorbing media. Interestingly enough, they also state that this generation has a very high level of anxiety and worry on all fronts. And so a fellow by the name of Barna that does a lot of research for churches says it may come as no surprise that the influence of Christianity in the United States is waning. Rates of church attendance, religious affiliation, belief in God, prayer, and Bible reading have been dropping for decades, now becoming post-Christian. And uh, Generation Z is now truly the first post-Christian generation more than any other generation in the world. And in Generation Z, atheism has doubled. It is no longer a dirty word, atheism. Uh, so the result is this, an entire generation who do not know the word, so how can they embrace it as something that has value? So if they are invited to the wedding feast, the great banquet, they're not gonna value that. And so they have excuses. Some of their excuses are like, well, why is there suffering? How could a good God allow suffering and pain in the world? That has been a lifelong question for a lot of people. Bottom line, because there's evil and sin in the world. Um, they, they, have, they have excuses like, well, so many Christians are hypocrites. Or I had a bad experience with the church or with a Christian. Or uh, I had an uncle who professed to be a Christian, but he acted inappropriately toward me. And so they have lots of excuses. I, I used to go to church. It's just not really that important to me anymore. And so now the United States is the largest mission field in the world, the wealthiest, and also the most godly. And so for years, we have tried in the gospel, to, in our church, to take the gospel to foreign lands. But now it's like, you know, we need to evangelize in our own backyard. And that's part of the reason why we're going to Medina, which uh, has, uh, I think, more than 50% of Medina is, is not Christian and unchurched in any way. Um, and so when these people in this banquet, and even people today, they're invited, they begin to make excuses and they don't come. Maybe they don't understand the, the wonderful benefits that are of becoming a Christian. Um, in, in fact, listen to this scripture in Ephesians chapter 3. This is the message translation. God can do anything, you know, far more than you could ever imagine or guess or request in your wildest dreams. He does not, he doesn't do it by pushing us around, but by working within us, his spirit deeply and gently within us. So this invitation, it was received, but it was rejected. So here's what happens. The master's response 
And then there is a redirection of where I'm going to send these invitations. First of all, the master was very angry. Uh, and again, the master represents God. He becomes angry. Look at verse 21, first part of that. The servant came back and reported this to his master. The owner of the house became angry. Now, there are consequences when God gets angry. God is a God of love, but he's also a God of justice and mercy and, and wrath. And so he becomes angry. Look at the consequences. There's always consequences to our choices. Look at verse 24. I tell you, not one of those who were invited will get a taste of my banquet. So listen, guys, God is not fooling around. He invites people to come to his banquet, but if they're going to make excuses, even if they're legitimate kind of excuses, he, he says, okay, they're not going to, they're not going to, get to come to the, the wedding feast or the banquet. And so he reissues this invitation. Look at verse, the last part of verse 21. He ordered his servant, go out quickly into the streets and the alleys of the town and bring in the poor, the crippled, the blind, and the lame. In other words, go to people that aren't like you. Go to people that, that have hurts and have needs and, and, have com and have compassion on them. Do you remember that's what we talked about last week? Remember the scripture, Matthew chapter 9, when he, Jesus, saw the crowds, he had compassion on them because they were harassed and helpless like sheep without a shepherd. And we talked about last week, God... Help me to see people like you see people, and then help me to have compassion and concern, and help me to do something about it if, if I can. People are confused. There's a lot of hurts out there in the world. I can't tell you how many hurts there are. Let me give you one a good example, only because he doesn't live around here. I was talking to a friend who lives in another state on the phone this week. He lost his 33-year-old son to a heroin overdose. His son left four children. But shortly after his son died, his nephew ended up in the hospital with a heroin overdose. So my friend went to the hospital to talk to his nephew, and he said to his nephew, don't do this to your mother. And within a month, his nephew was dead of a heroin overdose. People are hurting everywhere. And sometimes we don't see it because they only share surface-level things in certain areas um, there is an opportunity to harvest. So we love people and we speak truth into their life that there is a better, better life. Uh, look at uh, Luke 14, verses 22 through 23. Sir, the servant said, what you've ordered has been done. There is still room. And then the master told his servants, go out to the roads and the country lanes and compel them to come in. He says, you go out. Where do you go out? To the roads, the country lanes, everywhere. You know what he's saying there? You go out to where people are. Do you know why that's important? Because people aren't all here. In fact, the people probably need it the most aren't here. And so, so you go out, you can't expect them to come and listen and hear there because uh, there are going to be some people that will never, ever darken the doors of the church. And so he says, you go out to where people are. So I ask you the question, where are people today? Any idea? Well, they're everywhere, but listen to these statistics. Let's talk Facebook for just a second. Facebook, do you realize, is now the largest, um, it's bigger than the largest country on earth? If Facebook were a country, it had a greater population than any country on the face of this earth. Um, 2.4 billion people monthly are active users of Facebook in this year, 2019. Uh, they get online nearly every day. They scroll their news feed. They communicate with friends. They look at photos. Where are people? They're on Facebook. YouTube is the second most visited website 
Um, and uh, it's, it's actually even a search engine from what I read this last week. Uh, here's a sample question. This is interesting. Every month, 500,000 hits on YouTube asking this question, how do I study the Bible? Now, guess how many local churches show up to answer that question? Zero. 500,000 are searching for an answer and the churches aren't there. That's one of the reasons why uh, Northside would try to have a presence on, on Facebook or Instagram or, you, you know, in that way. That's one of the reasons why we've been videotaping our services because when we get to the point where we can edit it and it look well, we want to post that online. That kind of scares me because I was told a long time ago I have the perfect face for radio. And, <clears throat> you know, um, but the pulpit on Sunday mornings is not the only place to preach the gospel. So you go in the country, the lanes, the roads, you go wherever people are so that you can share that message with them. 500,000 searches every month, and the church is silent. Do you know who's answering that question, by the way? That millennials are asking how to study the Bible? It's other millennials. So if you're a millennial, then God can use you to reach people that some of the rest of us can't reach. And so we need, to have, we need to have those people that are committed Christians that can help in that area. Because if we don't win the millennials and then the Generation Z, even though they may be really different from us, the gospel sooner or later will die. That's why it's so important. Um, the harvest is plentiful. Now, why would you go out in the country roads and, and, and uh, the byways and highways? Why? Why would you even do that? Look at the end of that verse, verse 23 so that my house will be full. You know, God wants his house full. Why would God want his house full? Let me answer that with a couple of scriptures. John 3.16, For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whoever believes on him should not perish but have everlasting life. In the Old Testament, Jeremiah, the Lord appeared to us in the past saying, I have loved you with an everlasting love and I have drawn you with unfailing kindness. Romans chapter 5, but God demonstrates his own love for us in this. While we were still sinners, Christ died for us. 1 John chapter 3, see what great love the Father has lavished on us that we should be called the children of God. And that's what we are. Why does he want his house to be full? Because he loves people. He doesn't just love us. He loves everybody in the world. So he says, go out and preach the gospel. Share that. So that leads me to my third point this morning. It is our responsibility to invite others. Uh, as we talked about last week, we, we're the servants in this passage. We talked about last week, we have to be disciples, God working in us. And then we become apostles, God working through us when he sends us out to other people. So, so it, it's our responsible to, uh, responsibility to invite. Now, do you know the vast number of people that come to church? They come to church as a result of your invitation. In other words, friends inviting friends to come to church. Over the last 10 years, there's been a current discussion about churches in the church world about are you a, uh, an attractional church or are you a missional church? And they almost come to arguing about that. And you know what I think the answer is? We're both. We should be attractional. We should be missional. Jesus was both. Jesus said, come and see. That's attractional. 
And he also said, go and tell. That's missional. And so we should be both in the church today. Um, but majority of people are going to come to church because a friend has invited them to church. Okay, you got that? A friend inviting a friend to come to church. Now, I'm glad that you're all sitting because let me share this next stat with you. Studies show the longer that we are a Christian, the less evangelistic we are. One survey revealed that less than 2% of invitations to attend church are extended by Christians who have been Christians longer than six years. So basically that means if you've been a Christian longer than six years, you haven't invited anybody to church for a long, long time. I, I think, man, that's, that's pathetic. Because that's what we're called to do. Uh, to, to, to come and see and go and tell. And I think when we go and tell and people come and see, they see what, what good things God is doing here in this church and absolutely has been incredible. Um, the indication is that as Christians, mature Christians, we're not doing it like we ought to do it. Uh, there's the indication that we really don't believe Jesus' promise in Mark chapter 16 where he says, whoever believes and is baptized will be saved, but whoever does not believe will be condemned. The hope of the world is the gospel of Jesus Christ. We are to be more like a hospital than we are to be like a country club. Churches without the broken are broken churches. Now, I know why that happens. It's because we like to spend time with those people that are like us and that believe like us and think like us. And there's something special that happens when you have that fellowship. But when you have too much of that, that leads to being broken because we don't engage with other people. So I want to challenge you to engage with people that are, aren't like you, uh, people that aren't as stable as you are, or at least that you think you are. Um, you know, um, I, I've always been fascinated by the fact that so many Christians, uh, they don't seem to like non-Christians, you know, and they call them certain things like the lost or the unchurched or whatever term they want to use, but they, they, they want to stay away from messy people. They want to stay away from broken people. And I think, have they forgotten that we're all broken people and we all can be pretty messy people? Jesus said in John, I tell you, open your eyes and look, the fields, they are ripe for harvest. So let me encourage you, make some friends with some non-Christians because you have a love and you have a hope that they don't have. And you can share that with them. Reach out to them wherever they are. That might be social media. It might be YouTube. It might be coffee shops. It might be a new church in Medina. In the high school. Go to where people are. Why would we start a new campus when it, it causes our staff to double up in a lot of work and a lot of areas? Why would we do that? Do you know why? to be obedient to the gospel of Jesus Christ, he said to go out and tell others. Why would we do that? To carry out our purpose, to love God, serve others, and win one. Why would we do that? To take the church to the people rather than expecting the people to come to the church. And did you know that of those churches that have started a second campus, 85% of them have grown because of that to reach people that are far from God. And so, last week we had a commissioning. 
We're sending about 150 people up there, probably up there right now as we speak. And so that leaves 150 holes here. By the way, the people that go up to Medina, we don't want to just go up there and sit. If they're going to go to Medina, they go up to serve. They go up to work, do something somewhere. And so some of our people that were givers, servers, doers, that's left holes here because they're serving up there for that purpose. It's left 150 empty seats. And so, so that means, uh, let me challenge you. Let's fill up those 150 seats here. And we hope in two weeks when that church starts that we start that church up there with three or 400 people because people are hungry for the gospel of Christ. Uh, the fields are, are ripe unto harvest. But make a resolution to invite somebody. Because chances are, if you've been a Christian more than six years, you really haven't been doing that so much. Let me challenge you to do that. And if you can't do it every week, try to do it at least once a month that you invite somebody to come. You know why we don't, by the way? Remember what we talked about last week, the bystander effect? It's like somebody else's job. Somebody else is smarter. Somebody else is better. Somebody else can do it. And, you know, look at all these people. Somebody else can do it. Remember when we shared that? illustration the bystander effect and people just kind of sit back and they don't do anything they expect somebody else to do it did you see what happened in new york this last week on monday right after school a fight erupted a 16 year old boy was stabbed in the chest and died and as the police began to investigate it there were 50 to 70 kids that surrounded it and watched and videotaped it and posted on social media but not one of them bothered to help the bystander effect don't let that happen to us the parable of the banquet feast where the first invitations were flippantly dismissed he says go out into the roads and the country lanes go out everywhere now to be honest with you many of your invitations will probably fall on deaf ears and those will be rejected uh, even the best salesmen know that they get a lot more rejections than they get people that that will agree the Apostle Paul is probably the greatest evangelist the world has ever known. And in the book of Acts, if you trace his steps, some scoffed. Um, others said, well, let me think about it. But then some believed. And that's our goal, that some believed. So your next step, go out and make friends with people that aren't Christians and share the love of Jesus Christ with them. Invite them to church. Go and tell and then let them come and see because something special is happening here. Let me finish with this story. There was a couple... Um, that uh, owned a little Jack Russell Terrier. And uh, they went hiking up in the woods, up in the mountains, and, and a squirrel ran across the trail, and Jack Russell Terrier just kind of went ballistic and got loose from its chain or from its leash and took off. And they were devastated because they loved that little dog. And so they started asking other people on the trail, have you seen the little dog? And nobody's seen the dog. And so what they did is they, they went back and they checked with the ranger station and nobody had seen that little dog. And so they called back to their home, to their Bible study and called and asked their Bible study, would you pray that we would find, uh, the, the little dog's name was Charlie, would you help us find Charlie? They called the local radio station uh, and put out a, a message that Charlie was missing and help us find him. Uh, and it was important because there were coyotes in those hills um, but through the course of the day here's what happened the community mobilized a biker rode through the hills calling Charlie's name rangers drove through the mountain roads looking for the dog members of their Bible study dropped what they were doing and drove out to help search for the dog um, and at the end of the day 
as the sun was setting, they thought all was lost. Somebody found Charlie. He was underneath the car exactly where they had parked that morning. And they found Charlie. But here, this is the important part. That couple, here's what they said. They described this as the most profound experience of community they had ever experienced ever, ever in their life. Now, what if the church were united around trying to find and reach the lost? And people thought it is the most profound sense of community that we have ever experienced ever in our life. God has given us the Great Commission, a co-mission, because together with God, we can. Let's pray. God Almighty, thank you for teaching us in such simple ways through stories, because we can all grasp those stories. We understand what he's saying, and we know how to apply it. So God, help us to do that. Because if we don't start winning the younger generation, that younger generation is going to be lost forever. And what's even more critical, that generation won't pass anything on. If they don't have it, they can't pass it on. And sooner or later, the church will die. And Father, we know that you'll probably come, come back before that time comes. But Father, we have a, a mission. We're not all by ourselves. It is a co-mission. We are partnering with you, and we're partnering with each other to accomplish this mission that you've given us. Help us to do that.